This is Audium Listens. I'm Dave Schaff. We're talking with artists about how their craft has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Things are starting to feel a bit more open again. Venues, museums are reopening, indoor dining is allowed. Finally, we can start to come back together just a little bit. The question is, what lessons have we really learned and how have we changed? Will the Bay Area art scene return as it was, or is it something different now? Mark Saab is a digital content strategist for the Museum of the African Diaspora, one of the cultural institutions that was forced to close and reopen and close again. Mark is also a founding member of Feltzine, a digital art collective and online publication. And he also makes digital art himself. We'll get into what exactly is digital art, how the cultural spaces of San Francisco survived, and can we get that city back that we all love and miss? By the way, during the conversation, Mark refers to a term you might not have heard of called glitching. Now, this is basically corrupting digital data with errors that you've done for kind of an aesthetic or artistic reason. For example, glitching a digital photo. Because you were talking about kind of the confluence of like people involved with technology and people involved with art here. That's kind of what you're involved with. I guess would you call it digital art? What exactly is digital art for everyone who's not totally uh, familiar? I define digital art as like the way that the artist or the creative has a relationship to the technology they're using, right? So that could be anything from like virtual reality, augmented reality, even just like photo collaging, like the way that painters are creating light or the way that photographers are like capturing light. I think for a digital artist, it's like the way that you're playing with pixels. Cause like there are some digital artists who like even go out and will take like pictures with like Polaroids and then like scan, like glitch scan them, right? That, I, I think that's why the medium is so hard to like understand. Cause it's like, it's always changing. And because it's digital, like technology is always changing and like what you can do with it, it, it just continues to expand. Especially when you say like the intention behind it is kind of crucial. You yourself are a digital artist. What do you focus on in your own work? I guess like the first art form that I really, really fell in love with deeply was rap music and just like hip hop culture in general. I mean, I think when you have like a culture like hip hop, or even like punk, you know, like punk had like zines. Hip hop has like graffiti and breakdancing. Like, like when you have these art forms that also have a culture around it, it's like you have this whole idea around like almost creating these like personas around like the artist and the way that it's being presented. And for me, the idea of like internet art, I think like, like adds that because it's like you have the art itself and then you have the means through which it's being presented. But when you really take a step back and you look at it, internet art and like the styles that have been created over like whatever the last five to ten years with internet art that's now what's really influenced the style of art that is mostly being sold in crypto art i think we're in a time where we're like creating 
what it is. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's constantly evolving at a much faster pace than any other art form just because the technology keeps shifting. When you say crypto art, I hadn't heard that term before. Is that essentially like people bidding on digital art? It's really similar to like trading a cryptocurrency. But however, like these are actually like pieces of art. And I think what the big breakthrough that's happened is now you have the opportunity to actually like trade the file because like once you upload that file onto the blockchain now there's data that says this is the file this is the person who uploaded it now you have like actual proof that can't be changed or like hacked or like manipulated in any way and why a lot of digital and like 3d artists and internet artists are excited about it is because like you can actually like get out your art um, for like the way that it was intended. It takes on like a physical imprint in the world or something because it's secured in the blockchain. Exactly. That's interesting. I have to think about kind of the implications of that. I think that could change kind of the art for a lot of things, especially in like music. There's so much more content that we're being forced to create because that's what the kind of marketing machine demands of artists now online but you're not necessarily getting paid for all this content that you're creating. But I wonder if, you know, this is a way to kind of change that. Felt Zine. You founded this in 2011. So this is kind of like an experimental online platform and then also kind of like an artist collective. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All of those things. When we started, our idea was that we were gonna be like an art and fashion magazine um, but that we were just gonna do like really cool things on the internet. And it's interesting because like, as we started to even like get set up, there was this, I guess like art and music movement that was called Vaporwave that really started to take off. And, and I think very quickly, like I saw like, oh wow, there was a movement here that's happening. Someone needs to be capturing this. I felt like if, if someone who's a part of this culture is not the one talking about it, then we're just gonna wait for someone else to define us. And like, why, why would we do that? We, we have the means to do it. Then we started doing gallery shows, we started doing events, and so we would like work on art, we would premiere people's art. And I think that that's the thing is like, we kept our idea um, very organic, you know? I think like in a lot of ways, like it's interesting that I, I do so much work with like museums and galleries now because like I really created a lot of this stuff thinking we might never be accepted by any gallery ever. I was like, we're going to have to go make our own gallery. Like, museums are never going to get this. I mean, the cool thing is, like, even at um, the Museum of the African Diaspora, like, I can help elevate digital art, you know? Like, that's something that's, like, super important for me. I feel lucky that I was able to get in the doors that I've been able to get into. So, like... I try to bring everybody else in with me too. Because you said like there's such a big difference in the perceived legitimacy of the art form now compared to like uh, when you started. And I was curious about COVID. Has you know the fact that everyone's at home all the time and like you know yearning for more art and content has that kind of helped legitimize the perception of digital art and like felt zine? Yeah, I mean a hundred percent. Like I think COVID's made the biggest difference like the fact that now people feel comfortable like opening up a link and like seeing an exhibition and like walking around you know like moving their mouse or moving their keyboard around a virtual space to look at art and that's acceptable is like i mean it's incredible
even when I first moved to San Francisco, I would go to galleries and I'd be like, I can digitize this space for you. And they would be like, I don't see the purpose. Like, why would we put it for free online when we can get people to come in and see it? You know, for me, in a lot of ways, it it really taught me to understand that, like, people are going to be able to get things when when they can. Like, you really do have to have, like, the patience with people, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. if you believe in something... The biggest thing is, like, you know, people wanting to take the time now to say, like, wow, like, this artist VR experience is something that, like, I'll take time out of my day to experience. And this is just as powerful as a painting or, or a picture about the same subject. I think that it's really been, like, an audience and an institutional change that it's, it's just so much more acceptable now. And they're like, even when we open up, how do we still keep this audience tied to us? The idea that digital can work with the physical and that this all can be one experience and both like enhance each other, I feel like that's like the dopest way we could use all of this, you know? I love that, that kind of vision of a future. For a long time, part of it, the, the issue is the technology couldn't mesh as kind of seamlessly as it is now with, with our everyday lives. But I, I originally heard you, I guess, when you were on a, a webinar with SF Travel talking about COVID's impact and kind of what it would take the Museum of African Diaspora to reopen. At the time, I was kind of taken with that because it's like, you know, you have to rethink not just the safety regulations, but literally how the audience, your, your people coming in are going to experience the art. So how did that go? Because that was back before you did it. So you did reopen, right? And how, how was that experience for the museum and, and, and for people who explored it? There were like some really practical things which were, which also um, made it harder. Like when you're walking through a space, you do have to be very cautious of like people who, you know, like might gather around one piece. And there's just certain pieces that people are going to gravitate towards. And so breaking that up is interesting. And it's also like, how do you do that? and not mess up people's gallery experiences. You, you wanna be a good host, but being a good host then means making sure that everyone feels comfortable. So like you're dealing with some people who are more relaxed, and this is no judgment either way. You're dealing with people who are like, I don't care if I'm six inches away from people and you're asking them to move over, but then you also have to say, there's people who wanna be 30 feet right, away from right, the closest right. person, you know what yeah. I mean? So like, you, and you have to make all of them feel comfortable. I think people have rediscovered why these spaces are important and they've they've understood that like if if we want these things we also do have to fight for them before the pandemic we just took all these things for granted like of course restaurants are going to be here of course museums right, and libraries right. are going to be open um but now it's like oh we can lose these things the things that we decide to keep and the things we decide to make a part of our of our practice going forward are going to be beneficial to the audience experience overall and i think that like these cultural shifts that we'll have are going to have a really positive impact on um spaces that are dedicated to arts and culture mm, yeah that's that's great I'm, I'm hoping for that <laughs> for the future you know when we do come out of the pandemic like what benefits do you see like sticking around i think a lot of institutions that were sort of like 
resting on their laurels, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble moving forward. Even when I say arts and culture, like, I mean, like, the highest of, like, the high art museums to, like, clubs and, like, bars. You know what I mean? Like, I think that you're really going to have to be innovative now in the ways that you are a part of your community. Now, the relationship between audience and institutions is going to have to be mutually beneficial. If, if you're an institution that considers themselves like a gatekeeper and you keep that gate pretty shut, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to convince people to want to support you or to be a part of what you're doing. It's like, all right, if you want to get me to come see your film screening, you're going to have to really convince me to not just like chill with a couple of friends and like, you know, do whatever, like projected off of a wall in a park or a parking lot. Like now we can make our own experiences. We're more empowered to do that in, than ever before. And I also think that the artists and the creatives are gonna have to be centralized and they're gonna have to be some of the biggest beneficiaries of these games now because Absolutely. there's too many means to go direct to consumers. So I think like institutions now are just gonna, they're just gonna be forced to be more inclusive and more equitable. And I think that transparency is becoming more important than ever before. It's really difficult now to just say that you stand for something and not make actions that show that. Because right, like, right, if you're gonna right. talk that talk, like people are gonna pull up the receipts. And I think institutions are willing to hear that and learn from that. Then what will result in is actually like institutions that look like the communities that they're benefiting from. Yeah, you know, this kind of reckoning that all the institutions across the board kind of faced starting in the summer of last year is pretty profound, you know. And it, like I was kind of curious about for the Museum of the African Diaspora, because I understand, you know, especially for very like Eurocentric organizations, which, you know, are most of the arts organizations, unfortunately, or a lot of them, they definitely, uh, we definitely need to. Uh, take a lot of these ideas about equity into consideration. But uh, like in terms of like the MOAD, is there a change in the way that the MOAD is treating itself or its perceived role because of Black Lives Matter? Or like, is it more like the work on other kind of more Eurocentric organizations? I think the first thing is also the recognition that like no one's innocent and that like at the end of the day, we're all a part of the system in some way. And maybe it's even making sure that like we're representing like all sides of like even like all people of African descent like are there places and like countries or people that are from where like we haven't necessarily told their stories the other side of it is how much is how different the range of what people want from an institution like us can be so like on one hand there's people who are like they want us to be like like, you know, out there in the streets with them as much as possible. They want us to be supporting their cause. Then there's another group of people who are probably like equal in size that are saying, when I turn on the news, I got to deal with that shit. In my regular life, I'm, you know, a person of African descent. I have to deal with all these issues. When I, when I experience your museum's content, I want to be able to be like shown something else, right? Like I want to see like the creativity, the art, the beauty, the love. And so there's people that actually like 
don't want to be reminded of all of that other stuff. And I think that, you know, both feelings are legitimate. Right. And so, like, how do we be there for um, for that person and for all those feelings? And how do we be a, um, an example that, that there's more? But then also we're here for you and we support you and we're in this fight with you. Also, like uh, Felt Magazine and your art, too. Have you been influenced by like all these thoughts that, that are kind of like in reflections from the Black Lives Matter movement? There are people who were in our space who I think like are really on the edge of a lot of things, like really the darkest sides of like the Internet. The idea is more like if you have connected with us and you feel you're a part of this community and you probably didn't even know that they were like a black artist or a black creative, then maybe you should reflect on that. I'm also like lucky like I'm I'm not necessarily like impacted the same way that other people are I, I'm not economically in a place where like I have to be like around like like cops every day either you know what I'm saying like like I, I'm just not like I'm not threatened in the same way and I think but like that distance it does give me the ability to have a little bit more patience I don't expect that from everybody else but it's like, if I could do this part, like I understand these issues deeply. I know how to I, like articulate myself through them and I can be chill enough about it to have a conversation with someone. That's great. The internet really kind of bridges the gap because you are reaching people that you'd never reach through a physical institution like the uh, Museum of African Diaspora, you know? So you, you get this whole new audience on there. Looking to where we were a year ago compared to now, I think everybody's perspective and perception of the world is like so different now, you know? And uh, hopefully for the better, <laughs> you know? I mean, the kind of conversations that that we're having, like it needs to be had. And I'm wondering like, how can we use this whole ordeal to move forward into like a positive direction for the arts? Well, in every way change is inevitable and that like a big part of life is loss. A big part of life is struggle. The more that I can embrace that, almost like the, the healthier I feel mentally, right? Like knowing that this is gonna happen, knowing that things are gonna be harder in some ways and then accepting that and then saying, okay, now, like now what? Like now, what do I actually wanna do? Who do I actually wanna be? And I've also realized like, like especially this pandemic, it's way better to try and to fail when you have the opportunity to try than to just keep waiting. That's a positive feeling to understand that like, yo, time isn't gonna wait for you. There's been a lot of loss that's happened in the mm -hmm. city, like even before COVID, right? Like we were losing art institutions left and right. We were losing galleries. But then I think like, yo, there's like, there's a lot of opportunity in this. A lot of people who were in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, there's a lot of people who were there who didn't want to be. Well, guess what? Like now they're leaving. Yeah. Hey, like bye. <laughs> and you know what? Now there, there's more space. And so now it's like, what are we going to do with that space? People who have dreamed about ever having a space. Now you can also think about like, can I do that, right? Like, can I open my own space? Or like, how can I contribute to spaces knowing that there's probably more opportunity than ever?
hopefully we can get a lot of things happening here that left. Absolutely. Because um, the truth is, like, the city needs us again. Now we have the opportunity to, to really bring culture back. Um, and I think for that to be the story that defines the Bay Area post-pandemic, in a lot of ways, it's what fits the Bay Area the most. Cool, man. Well, that, that's, that should just about do it. That was great talking with you. Yeah, same. Same here. Well, I'm inspired, especially on that last piece. The people who stayed, you know, the ones who really stuck around the Bay Area during these tough times, are the ones who love and are really invested in the community here. Let's hope there really is the kind of change the market is talking about. You know, we've all been through this craziness for the past year, and let's hope at the end of the tunnel there really is some sort of creative cultural renaissance. Let's fill those empty buildings with art, folks. Well, I'd like to extend thanks out to our little Audium podcast team. We've got Nate Tedesco doing all the editing and sound design, Odin Rosado on final transcriptions, and Emma Scully handling the storyboarding. Thanks again to Mark Saab for his time and insights, and also a big thank you to Dev Moore, Chris HK, and John Diego for allowing us to use their music in today's episode. You can find links to Mark and all these folks in the show notes. Until next time, stay safe and keep glitching. And keep glitching. And keep glitching.